Turn with me in your Bibles once again to 1 John chapter 3. I have, uh, did not look at our order of service until this morning. We had planned it on Tuesday afternoon. And when I saw it, I thought, oh no, there's no way I'm going to make it through this. And Christ Alone was Jenica's favorite song. And we planned that on Tuesday. We didn't know what the Lord had. We didn't know to plan. It was, Father, you are sovereign. But that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Pulling things together to minister to our souls in song this morning. We're grateful for him and the comfort that he is, even through the truth that we've sung about this morning. First John chapter 3 will be our text this morning. I have preached this text before, so some of this may sound familiar to you. But it is a text, I think, is it applicable for our day and certainly for our time this morning. And as I looked over it, I thought much about the graciousness of God in giving us his word. Hope you're there in your Bibles. If not, it's page 1022. And let me read from this text again. And if you would, please stand with me to honor the reading of God's word once again. Thank you, preacher, for reading this word to us. And now as a way of introduction, let me read again. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You may be seated. Many of you have probably grown up with the song that I grew up with as well, and we have sung even in this church, Behold, What manner of love the Father has given to us. This hymn of the faith, this song of the faith coming from this passage. In churches today, and rightfully so, much is made of the doctrine of justification. Much is made of the doctrine of sanctification. Much is made of the doctrine of glorification. And it is right that these should be made much of because they are in many ways the pillars of the work of Christ for us in saving our souls from death. But a most beautiful doctrine, a doctrine that may, we may not focus on as much as those three that I've mentioned, is the doctrine of adoption. The doctrine of adoption. And that appears here in our study this morning. That brings the love of God the Father for us into a laser-like focus on the relationship we now have with Him through the work of Christ for us. And I would, hesitate to, I would not hesitate to say that in all of Scripture, there's probably not a more warm and loving doctrine than the doctrine of adoption. That those that are saved are not only saved, but adopted into the family of God. If you were to uh, take a few moments and flip through the, this book of 1 John, uh, you would note the many times that John assures the believers in Ephesus to whom he is writing of their salvation. And he orchestrates throughout this book many ways to test and to help assure those who are in the faith of their faith in Christ because of his grace in giving them that faith. And he provides tests and markers by which they can be confident in the work of Christ in their life and therefore live accordingly. And as we will see this morning today, John provides another means of assurance and that our salvation rests in our adoption by the Father into the family of God. 
that we are not simply regenerated or made into or brought into life from death. We're not simply made right legally, the doctrine of justification, that we were, we were in full, uh, we were deserving of the full wrath of God in his justice as the righteous judge, and yet he made us right legally before him. We're not simply being made more like him, the doctrine of sanctification, but we are, and we are not simply with the hope of being with him for eternity, the doctrine of glorification, but we have a close and personal relationship with God the Father and Christ the Son, the doctrine of adoption. And as Christopher spoke about this morning, we not only have hope in the future glorification, but we have hope in the past because of the justification of what God has done in our lives, and we have hope today based upon that which is in the past and based upon that which is in the future and based upon what he's doing us in us now in Christ because he's not only saved us, he's doing a work in us now and he's prepared for us glory. And the work he's doing in us now is secured by the work of adoption. You might ask the question, what is adoption? The Westminster Longer Catechism helps us this morning. Question number 74, what is adoption? Bit of a paragraph here, but follow along with me. Adoption is an act of the free grace of God in and for his only son, Jesus Christ, whereby all those that are justified are received into the number of his children, have put his name upon them, the spirit of his son given to them, are under his fatherly care and dispensations, admitted to all the liberties and privileges of the sons of God, made heirs of all the promises and fellow heirs with Christ in glory. Scripture indicates that this adoption process did not begin well. You think of someone who's going to adopt a child and they look at that little child and think, longingly about having them in their arms and in their homes and the, the sweet little child that that is and how beautiful he or she is and watch how they do little things and marvel at God's creation in them. That's not how it began for us. This adoption process did not begin well. We weren't sweet, beautiful little things that God looked at us and thought, oh, how wonderful that little thing is. No, we were wretches. We were dead and we were deadly. Ephesians 2, 2 through 3, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Ephesians 5, 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. When you have a, your own child biologically, you always have that child as sort of a marker of, of God's grace in your life. So even when they misbehave, you look and think, wow, God made that little one and he used me in that process. But if you were to adopt a child and you were to see that child in the beauty of the way God created, that beauty would be heavily tested when that child disobeyed you. 
and when God then got mad at you because there's no blood connection there. But how much more, God having created us, God having created us and then we rejected him and then him and his love drawing us back in adoption. In our sin, as sons of disobedience, we were unlovely. And I think that would be putting it mildly. We weren't the model child. We didn't look cute. We looked deadly. But our deadliness, our unloveliness, our disobedience further magnifies the love of the Father. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, purchasing that adoption available now to those who will believe upon his name. It has been said that the strongest bond on earth is a mother and her child, and yet that pales in comparison to the love the Father has for us. A mother sees a child in infancy, innocent, beautiful, sweet, smelling good, responding to her affection. The beauty of the newborn child with his mother is possibly the most powerful image. And yet the father bestowed on us the place of child by adopting us into his family with all the benefits and rights of the family in our sin. Knowingly, he does so in our sin. Loving us when we were unlovely. Dying for us when we were yet dead. And just in case we could possibly even try and comprehend his love, he didn't do that just for you. He did that for all that will call upon his name. John 1, 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We are heirs of all the promises and benefits of Christ. Romans 8, 14 through 17. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we were children of God and the children then heirs, heirs of God and Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. What a, behold, what a wondrous truth is this doctrine of adoption. And the Apostle John demands that we place our attention upon it this morning. As the dramatic sunset or sunrise this morning, if you saw it, demanded that your eye view it. This passage stands before us demanding that we look upon it. Or as Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So in our remaining time this morning, I want to look at three aspects of adoption that we see in this passage. First of all, that adoption is a privilege. Second, that adoption alienates. And third, that adoption transforms. Adoption is a privilege. Adoption alienates. And adoption transforms. Look at the text with me. And if you look at verse 1, the first half of verse 1, you'll see, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God And so we are. Or we might say, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. So that word being has given to us. It's a free gift. Only able to be given by the Father of lights. With whom there is no variable, neither shadow of turning, as James tells us. 
The Father granting to us the child of God. It's not something we can earn. It's not something we deserve. It's not something we can work toward. No, the Father just granting it to us. And could there be a greater title title for us here on earth than sons and daughters of the King? You might be the CEO. You might be the president. You might be the king. But there's nothing greater than being a son or a daughter of the King. And notice that it wasn't a transaction that took place over a long period of time. It was an instant transaction. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God? Done. And so we are. Immediately. It happens. It happened. It was bestowed on us and the deed was done. He commanded and that truth now standing fast for eternity. Eternally marked down in the book of life, unable to be erased or removed by anyone or thing. Or as we sung about, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. That which we sang upon this morning being the truth of adoption. There is nothing that can remove that title because it's been given to you. It's been bestowed upon you. You didn't earn it, and you cannot have it removed now. But not only is adoption a privilege bestowed by the Father, adoption as sons of God now give us certain privileges of the family. So it's not just simply that we have the privilege of adoption, which is enough in itself. We now have been given much more than just that privilege. With that adoption comes many privileges of the family. And I won't look up all the, we won't read all these verses this morning. So if you're taking notes, I have 10, 10 privileges. And you might just jot down the word I say and then mark the verse and look them up later. Privilege number one, we have the love of the Father. We see here 1 John 3, 1. Privilege number two, we have access to the Father. Access to the Father. Matthew 6, verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Number three, we have the understanding of the Father. Psalm 103, 13 and 14. A father shows compassion to his children. The Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. We have the understanding of the Father. Number four, we have the care of the Father. Matthew 6, 32. Love, access, understanding, care. Number five, we have good gifts from the Father. Matthew 7, verse 11. Matthew 7, verse 11, we have good gifts from the Father. Number six, we have an eternal inheritance from the Father. Galatians 4, 1 Peter 1, 4. An eternal inheritance from the Father. Number seven. We not only have eternal forgiveness, we have daily forgiveness. We have forgiveness from the Father found in 1 John 1, 9. Number eight, we may not think of this as a privilege, but it actually is an immense privilege. We have discipline from the Father. We know this from Hebrews 12. 5 and 6, and Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Have you not forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, 
nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplined the one he loves. We have discipline from the Father. Let me recap so far. We have love, access, understanding, care, good gifts, and eternal inheritance. Number seven, forgiveness. Number eight, discipline. Two more. Number nine, we have the family of the Father. Galatians 6, 10. This is your family now because of the Father. And Christ is now your brother because of the Father. A privilege of adoption. And lastly, number 10, we have a perfect example in the Son. Ephesians 5, 1. Family of the Father, Galatians 6, 10. A perfect example in the Son, number 10, Ephesians 5, 1. I don't have uh, much in the way of example or testimony because of being the oldest in the family. But those of you who have older brothers and sisters, imagine if they were perfect. Don't imagine that for too long. You might turn against them. But if they were perfect, how much more wonderful would it be for you to know exactly how to honor the Father, exactly how to live life? Yes, I see you, Beecher, smiling. But we have a perfect example in the Son, Jesus Christ. He's our brother, our older brother. We can look to him and see in him the perfect Son and know how to then imitate the Father who is perfect above him, who loves us. There are many more privileges of adoption, but there's 10, and I would commend them to you for your own personal study this week to just rejoice and meditate upon the truth of the adoption and the privileges that you now have. There's the privilege of adoption. Point number two, adoption alienates. Point number two, adoption alienates. We see that in the second half of verse one of 1 John 3. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. John 1, verse 11, he came to his own and his own received him not. We've looked at Isaiah 53 in our study of the book of Mark. He was despised and rejected by men and man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It is, should not be a stark, it should not be a, um, it should not come as a surprise to us that the world does not know us. It should not come as a surprise to us that if you are an unbeliever this morning and you are watching me weep as a pastor on stage, how I can then preach with joy on my face. How do you do that? Because those tears are not simply tears of sorrow. They're tears of joy. The world does not understand that. The world does not understand how they can walk into your home and hear you say, amidst all the nastiness that is going on in the world around us, isn't God good? Isn't God good? How can you say that? People are dying. But God is good. And we can say that because we know the truth. Adoption alienates. Perhaps this is seen most clearly in the life of a wife and mother who has chosen by God's grace and for his glory to submit herself to the lordship of Christ and her husband, to give herself to the home and raising children. That is unfathomable to the world around us. And yet we are so 
blessed to have you wives and mothers who would do that as an example of God's gracious gift of adoption, alienating us from the world. And we see that in you. Adoption alienates. Adoption means that there are going to be some that are going to understand you well. And there are going to be some that have, are unable to, to comprehend you. To, uh, unable to understand you. And in that misunderstanding of who you are, may vehemently turn against you as they turn against Christ. Adoption alienates. And we're going to see this truth played out in the coming years, I believe, in America, where that, this alienation will become much more stark. And yet, that is not an alienation without hope because he's given us a family. He's given us those that are with us in this fight in the pursuit of holiness and the one day being with one another in glory for eternity. Adoption alienates. Number three, adoption. There's the privileges of adoption. There's the alienation of adoption. And finally, adoption transforms. Adoption transforms. Verse two and three of 1 John 3. Look with me there. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Adoption transforms. And we, even in thinking this, realize the grace of God that he did not adopt us till we were transformed. But in fact, adopts us before our transformation and then by his grace does a work of transformation in us. Adoption transforms us physically and spiritually. And notice in the passage there, it transforms us like him in holiness. But it also transforms one day our physical bodies as well. You might think of... um, a family that you may know that has adopted um, other, diverse, other ethnic diversities. They have chosen to adopt from different cultures and countries around the world. And, and in that small family, a picture of the gospel that goes to all the world, every tribe, tongue, and nation. And you see how that, that gospel is played out in the love of that family where they, they beautifully love upon those that were not organically theirs. And yet, when you look at them, you notice the differences. You notice that maybe the hair color is different and the, and the facial features don't match the parents. And then, at the same time, you, you look at a, a biological child and the phrase might come to your mind, wow, you look so much like your father or you look so much like your, your mother. Recognizable features. And yet, and yet that day is coming. When, when all the differences were going to be transformed in, in glory, physically transformed. We're being spiritually transformed now. And one day when Christ returns or we go be with him in glory before his return, having our coming into the complete perfection of glorification, and even our bodies now that ache and groan pains, one day being transformed again and we have new bodies And you sit here and think, adoption transforms? What is this man talking about? 
What does this mean to be transformed spiritually? That's a work of not only justification, but it's a work of sanctification. If you do not know Christ, this is going to sound odd odd to you. Being adopted by a heavenly father who I cannot see and he's going to do all this work in me, this sounds strange. And I would simply plead with you to understand this morning of the wondrous love of God for you that he gave his son Christ upon a cross to take from you the sin that demanded that you never be physically transformed, demanded that you never be spiritually transformed, instead demanded that you come under the eternal wrath of God in hell forever. And yet that adoption, if you will but believe upon Christ, if you will but repent of your sins and turn to him in saving faith, if you will but respond to his love for you, These privileges are yours and it's in an instant. And you will, with those who name the name of Christ, stand with him in glory for eternity. Having a physical body transformed and a spiritual body transformed. And this this physical body transformed isn't one that is just simply transformed and, and, and yet still has disease and illness or tears and pain. No, it's complete and it's new. There will no, no longer be tears or pain or illness or sorrow in heaven. I think probably one of the most wonderful things about heaven is not simply that you will, not ha- you will have a transformed body, but you will have a heart transformed to the fact that you have no capacity and no desire for sin. Can you imagine that? You don't only have a no capacity to sin, you have no desire to ever sin again. You know, I would go to be in heaven with a broken body if I could just have that. I'll go sit in a wheelchair for eternity if I could just have a soul that has no capacity and no desire for sin. And yet in his goodness, he says, and how about a completely new package? And I wondered yesterday with Brant if that new package is not because the glory of Christ is to such a magnificent degree that you have to have a new body just to be able to contain the pure pleasure that you're going to experience phrase, you're coming out of your skin, may be well appropriate for heaven. Good thing we have new skin. That hope of transformation that comes through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that comes through the transformation, bestowing love of the Father, providing for us the necessary energy and motivation to imitate him in faith. You see that there at the end of verse three. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Our sanctification, our, our working out our salvation in fear and trembling comes from the hope that we have of not only what he's done for us in the past and our adoption here, but our hope for being with him in eternity. Matthew Henry says, the sons of God must walk by faith and live by hope. And that hope is not baseless. That hope will not be deferred. That hope is sure and founded upon the immovable rock of Christ. And when you have hope, 
which we as believers in Jesus Christ have all the hope in the world. When we have hope, we have a motivation and an ability to do things that you would not otherwise do, to fight against sin in ways that you may not have ever imagined being able to fight because that is the grace of God in giving you that hope and ability and that hope spurring us on in holiness. Not only does God command us to be holy as he is holy, but now as adopted sons, he's put that inclination in us. We had no inclination to be holy, but he adopted us and now we have the desire to be holy. Romans 5, 5, and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. How do you gain that hope? I've just said that. You repent and believe. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ as your only hope for salvation. Let me close by a hymn of the faith you may not have heard from before. It's the hymn of faith from Isaac Watts And it's entitled, Behold What Wondrous Grace. Behold What Wondrous Grace. Listen as I read here in closing. Isaac Watts, Behold What Wondrous Grace The Father has bestowed on sinners of a mortal race to call them sons of God. Tis no surprising thing that we should be unknown. The Jewish world knew not their king, God's everlasting son. Nor doth, yet, nor doth it yet appear how great we must be made. But when we see our Savior here, we shall be like our head. A hope so much divine may trials well endure, may purge our souls from sense and sin as Christ the Lord is pure. If in my Father's love I share a filial part, Send down thy spirit like a dove to rest upon my heart. We would no longer lie like slaves beneath the throne. My faith shall Abba Father cry and thou the kindred own. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of adoption. For the faith that has adopted us as sons. A faith that is a gift. A faith that you gave us and that we then responded to your saving grace in our lives. Father, it's no surprising thing that we should be unknown. And yet what's more surprising that you know us because you loved us. We thank you, Father, for the truth of this passage this morning. That we are adopted sons and daughters of the King. And that adoption bringing with it hope, that adoption bringing with it privileges, that adoption bringing with it alienation from the world, that adoption bringing with it transformation. We thank you, Father, that you're using all things, even even the things of today and this last week and the things to come in this coming week to transform us into the likeness of your Son. Because, Father, by your grace, that is what we desire now. We want to be more like your son. We want to give you more glory with our lives. And we thank you for your son, Christ, our Savior, who has set an example of how we might give you glory. We thank you for this passage of Scripture and the way it's ministered to our souls this morning. We thank you for your living word. And may it continue to minister to us today and throughout this week. 
In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.